My name is Sean Jordan. Welcome to the Adaptive Outdoorsman Podcast. Here we'll be discussing the history and legacy behind disabled hunters, trappers, anglers, and how they adapt and persevere in the woods, on the line, and on the water. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. I'd like to introduce our guest, Mike Anderson. He is responsible for all of Shields social media that ranging from instagram facebook youtube you name it he's responsible for it welcome to the show hey it's great to be here and uh i have to give a little caveat i'm not responsible for all social media just the outdoor portion of stuff i mean shields is we have a wide variety of stuff anywhere from like your fashion and your shoes to your sports to your outdoors so I, I stay kind of stay in my lane, like Sorel shoes and all that fashion stuff's definitely not my thing. But outdoors, on the other hand, that's that's my go-to. Hey, I've uh, looked at your site a couple of times, but never had to buy anything just yet. Oh boy, don't look too much. It's a, it's a playground there. Yeah, I've noticed. I was watching a couple of guys on YouTube, and they're like, "And this episode is brought to you by Shields." And I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Let's look at it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a it's a great place to work. I mean, the you you know great people and uh, you know a lot of a lot of great values. And we're we're starting mm-hmm. to grow pretty well. We started out in the in the Midwest in uh, in a little town called Sabin, Minnesota, 1902. Um, started um, one of the Shields had a potato farm. And sold it off and turned it into a hardware store. And so we started out as a hardware store. And then we moved into selling some shoes and athletic apparel. And then from there, we got a couple of more stores and then branched out into basically all the sporting goods stuff. And uh, now there's quite the gamut of, of products ranging from your health and your beauty to your fashion to all sports to Definitely all the outdoor things. So, I mean, if if you're looking for something outdoors related, there's a pretty good chance we either have it or we can get it for you. Uh, what year did Shields start uh, utilizing outdoor equipment for hunting? So, I think that was probably 15 to 20 years into it. So, I'd say like, you know, the 30s or the yeah. 40s. Yeah, don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm not perfect with all the history, but it definitely wasn't the the start to things. Yeah. Now, did they take a hit during World War II, like they had to cut back on certain things? Oh, man, you're really testing me on this stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm a history nut. So when I start here in the 1930s, 40s, my mind immediately goes to things that I just like listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting time frame, and I can't give you a great answer on that one because, I mean, I would assume so because, you know, basically everything was difficult mm-hmm. in that time. But, um, hey, we're still here, though, so we we made it through that, and uh, and now we're, uh, we are where we are today. We have 30, I think we're on our 32nd store that we just opened now. And then we've got another one coming up in Chandler, Arizona. And then we've got another one that's, uh, we broke ground in Boise as well. So, you know, like I said, started in the Midwest and then started branching kind of West into like your Montana's and your Colorado's. And now Mm -hmm. we're, 
we're working our way south and uh, and a little bit eastern too. So we we have a store in Texas now, which is pretty cool. It's the largest sporting goods store in, I believe it's in the world. I know I know it's the biggest one in the United States. So that's Dang. down at the, at the Colony, Texas. And I had a chance to go there um, this spring. And, you know, like I'm used to our store in Fargo, North Dakota, which is, you know, it's pretty decent size. It's, you know, two levels and... And but I went down to Texas, and everything is definitely bigger in Texas because you like you almost need like Google Maps to figure out your way through that store. Quick, get my Onyx hunt. Let's figure out where we're at. (laughs) Onyx. So we got the shoe section here, Mm -hmm. sporting goods. There we go. All right, there's the hunting section. Right, honey, I'll meet you in dining. Yeah, you know that's one of the really good things about Shields. So it's like you can, especially if you if you're there with your spouse and you have different interests, like they can go check out, you know, shoes or whatever they they're really like to. Maybe they're the hunting people, but um, you you can have have your different sections you go to and then and meet somewhere. Maybe meet at like the cafe or by the Ferris wheel. We have we have a lot of Ferris wheels and attractions and stuff in, mm-hmm. in stores. Yeah, there's. There's a mall up in Fort Wayne that has a Ferris wheel in it, I think. They could have gotten rid of it recently. I'm not certain. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. And they were remodeling. Now, is there any shields near Indiana, or do they have any plans of opening up any shields in Indiana? Well, I'm I'm not privy to all the openings. Like We, we hear a little before time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't say we, I can say we don't have one in Indiana yet. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think Springfield, Illinois is probably the closest one. Hmm. Well, at least I know where all my shipping would be coming from. <laughs> yeah. Now, what type of products do you guys offer in the outdoors oh, section? Yeah. I mean, Pretty much everything, hunting, fishing, camping. Um, if, if you're into outdoor adventures, there's a, there's a pretty good chance we have at everything from like your rifles and your archery stuff and your crossbows to, um, you know, even to like paintball stuff there as far as like, you know, your weapons stuff goes. And then camping, everything from your backpacks to your tents. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you want to get places with an e-bike, we've got that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, all of your clothing and your footwear and your gear that you need to go under the pack. So pretty much if you want to go on a hunting or outdoor adventure, it's it can be a one-stop shop for you. Mm-hmm. Any type of equipment other than like crossbows or is there anything that is more suited for a person with disabilities? You know, I, I would say probably not. We have, you know, like we've got a lot of all of the clothing stuff, but when it comes to like maybe sort of like your gear that you use, like the, like the things with the tracks or mm-hmm. stuff like that, we don't necessarily have that. I mean, we have, we have all the sorts of shooting sticks and the, and like the platforms to help assist with, you know, like holding your weapons and things mm-hmm. like that. We do have those, but um, we haven't stepped into the like game for, you know, like the pieces of equipment with tracks or things yeah. like that. I know uh, there's a place outside of, I believe it's Warsaw. No, no. 
Columbia City. It's been a little bit since I've talked to them, but they're B Adaptive Equipment, and they are the largest producer of adaptive equipment in the world for like hunting and shooting. And they're also one of the smallest. Okay. Literally, barely anybody knows them, but they literally get uh, orders all around the world. And they cool. sh- they produce, uh, hand produce and make uh, these seat plates with an actuator on it. So it's battery operated. So somebody can sit down in their chair. It could be a wheelchair, an outdoor wheelchair, a track chair, a coyote, outrider coyote you know, something of that. And so their body weight keeps it stayed steady. It's underneath the cushion and everything. And the guns mounted to it and like a V V notches that are, you know, padded and everything. And then it's tightened down on the butt. And there's an actuator that goes into the trigger and they have a sip and puff. And when they sip on it, it activates the actuator and that pulls the trigger for them. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I believe when I looked on the website, it was like $2,300 for one of those. Okay. Yeah. Well, handmade, they're handmade, and they're built very sturdy. I mean, I was there. I've been in the facility, and the place is just, those things are, they're nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it. It's it's amazing the things that they make nowadays to to help people who have the desire to do that to to still pursue their passions and you know really have to tip my hat to those. Yeah, it's from what I've been able to tell the past ten to twenty years have just been leaps and bounds for adaptive equipment mm-hmm. for for outdoor use. So, with Shields, I know we talked before the podcast about Shields dealing with uh, nonprofit organizations that do work with disability. You want to tell me a little bit about those? Sure. Yeah, we have uh, we have a couple main ones that we deal with. Um, the first one is uh, American Heroes Outdoors, um, and then they have we have this. Um, it's called a Shields Hometown Heroes. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a monthly series where it's there'll be people that um, are near a Shields area store, and then we'll go and we'll uh, you know kind of honor them with things that that they have done, and then um, they also have a show where um, <clears throat> where they'll bring people on and they'll go on hunting and fishing trips and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we're a pretty proud sponsor of that, and. Um, the second one would be the ultimate, um, sorry, Outdoor Adventure Foundation. Um, the Outdoor Adventure Foundation is is a nonprofit organization um, specializing in in people twenty five and under that have gone through like life changing events, mm-hmm. and um, and we donate to that one, and they do all sorts of cool stuff, whether it's hunting or fishing or, you know, even bringing people to like sporting events, basically what, what they want to do, like one of their bucket list things, um, they help make it happen. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff like that where, um, you know, like the, where the adaptive stuff comes into play and, you know, like go out on basically any sort of hunting or fishing adventure 
they want. So, and I actually had, uh, I had some experience with that before I joined Shields. I worked as a, as a part-time hunting guide and was able to do a, do a hunt with the Outdoor Adventure Foundation. It was an individual that, uh, that it was a cancer survivor and was able to take him out on a deer hunt and he harvested a pretty nice buck. So there's just a, you know, a couple of great causes and, and mm-hmm. it's good to be a part of that. Now, when you went, took that individual on their, uh, buck hunt, uh, what type of equipment did they use? So it was, it was just a, uh, you know, like, hmm. I guess the, it wasn't like adaptive though. So I just yeah. maybe cut this portion of it out, but, um, you know, it was, a, he was a cancer survivor, so there wasn't a lot of like adaptive issues or anything I, like that. You've survived cancer. That's, that's good enough. Yeah. In my opinion, that's adapting to something that is big in the worst way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I say props to him and congratulations on the buck. No matter what, I mean, I'm just, that's awesome, dude. I mean, glad you were able to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's he, you know, he, he'd been on one hunt before and, uh, and harvested an elk and it was a, it was a pretty nice one. And, but he, he hadn't got a good deer yet. And so I was like, yeah, I'm all about that. So we had, you know, like I was, I was able to, have access to like about 15,000 acres that I could, that I could guide on and, you know, running pretty much stand sites and stuff on, on every place. And we had this, we had this secluded five acre bean field in this river bottom area. And it was, it was pretty much like whitetail Mecca. And we had a, we had a pretty good setup. He had a, a big redneck blind there. And then, so we were like fully scent contained and had, and had like a, you know, like a rest for his gun and stuff. And like when those first few deer popped out, he'd, you know, perk his head up and like just watching them all come out was awesome. And then we had, we had a really big buck come through and cruise by and, but he never got a shot opportunity at that one. So we're like, Oh, hopefully he comes back. Hopefully he comes back. And then a little bit later, another nice buck came out and he started making a scrape right on the side of the side of the bean field and has worked his way toward us. And, and, uh, you let him have it. So it was, it was cool. Just seeing the smile on his face nice. was, was pretty special. How many points was he? Uh, he, I think he was a nine pointer. So four yeah. or four by five, depending on what area of the country you are calling those. So, yeah, you know, they did, Duct Pete points for that odd point out. I know it's it's super annoying in my opinion. I mean they got the the gross and the net score, so mm-hmm. I I like to say nets for fishing because that, that's your a gross lot score of is how big they really are. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of people, including me, because I have a nine pointer at home, and he scored. I think it was one forty one and six eights or something like that. Okay, and that's a good one. After the deductions, he was down to one twenty eight. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it. It can be a little bit depressing seeing that net number. You know. Yeah, you're like, what the heck? <laughs> that's the only way I can get into the book. Yeah, exactly. My my biggest white tail. Um, Gross was one fifty sixth and seven eighths, but he had 
he had 14 points and splits and Ooh. and kickers going out all over the place and none of it matched so i mean i guess you you'd you'd probably score that one as a non-typical anyways but yeah i i honestly didn't even get him scored net because I knew that number was going to just be depressing. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I'm good. Uh, thanks for the score points. Uh, you keep it. I know he's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law, he bagged a 178 and 3 eighths after scoring. That is his net. It was oh, 178 and 3 eighths. So he was almost a 190. Wow. Except he had a major kicker on one side. Mm-hmm. Is that That's, Indiana then? Or? Yep. He's the largest in Huntington County. Nice. For a 10-point buck. Okay. Yeah, Seriously. I had. Uh, I was chasing a deer somewhere near that caliber. Um, I had... Uh, I was looking for land to hunt in North Dakota. I had, I had originally grew up in Minnesota and went to North Dakota and was like, oh, I, I can do all these food plots and stuff. It's like, I'll, I'll put some feelers out there. Maybe I can put some food plots and help manage land in order to gain access. Mm-hmm. And I, I got this one spot where I could hunt. It was still in Minnesota, but I was like, well, I'm not going to turn it down. And um, I put in a couple of food plots and then put a camera out. And I got a picture of this buck. Like I didn't even... <sighs> I had to, I had to like double check to make sure it was like my, actually my camera and a real picture because mm-hmm. he just looked so big, and um, he ended up scoring one eighty nine and seven eighths, and I know that because a neighbor shot him as oh. his first deer with a open sight thirty thirty and didn't even know how big it was. I nicknamed him Freak Nasty. <laughs> he was a he was a mainframe five by five with a kicker, I've, and uh, I shed some tears when I saw that that picture of him. Mm-hmm. I was chasing a buck this pat uh, about two or three years ago this is before I got my big boy. And I just didn't go out a certain time frame. And my mom texted me a picture of this. The neighbor had bagged a buck just at the property line. And he came on the private land that I hunt on. And, she checks at me and it's a freaking 10 pointer curled in chocolate brown. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why? Then the next year I get on trail cam and he, my nine pointer shows up in August at night and he's just passing through and you get, and I'm like, okay. Doesn't show up anytime else till November 11th, Veterans Day. Okay. And that's the day I bagged him. Nice. And then I called my dad, wished him a happy Veterans Day, and then told him about my deer. <laughs> that's awesome. So, Very yeah. cool. I'm still debating on what, to, what name to call him. I mean, I'd probably call him the Veterans Day buck, wouldn't you? I'll just shorten it up to the vet. The vet. I like that. That's got a nice ring to it. Yeah. I was thinking Spike or Knives because his tines are like blades. Mm-hmm. I, I love how you can, you know, like pick up a deer on trail camera or shoot a deer and, and come up with names based off of characteristics. Yeah. So. the I think it was last year. I was naming bucks that I saw on camera. 
Never saw him again. This year, I'm taking that as hubris in my part of don't name them till you get them. <laughs> yep, that's that's definitely one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've got a buck that I call righty right now, and I'm I'm hoping I can get him. Um, I'm hoping that that naming him wasn't the kiss of death right. because um, I, I first encountered him last year. He was a three and a half year old. And um, he's got a great, great right side. And his left side is just funky and not quite all there. And um, I had him at two steps at my rifle season in Minnesota. So I got a really good look at him. Uh, He came out of a food plot and then worked a scrape. And then he walked directly under my stand, like to the point where I couldn't see him anymore because he was right under it. And, uh, I, I was hoping and praying he'd make it. Cause like that, I, I'd encountered him the e- evening of opener. And then I got him again in front of me the last morning of the rifle season. So I was like, well, I passed him once. I'm not going to shoot him now. And because he's, he's likely going to make it through the mm-hmm. season anyways. Cause there's only like, you know, seven hours left of rifle season. And then we had the harshest winter we've had in a long time, just so much snow. And then I was worried he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna make it, but got him back on camera. But the unfortunate thing is winter was so hard that he didn't grow any, like he's a year older, but he's the exact same size. Yeah. But now it was like, I, I kind of have a personal goal of like, I want to shoot a deer that's four years old or older. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's not any bigger, but he's four now. So He's he's on the list. Yeah. I uh, bought a Phelps game called Buck Grunt, the Beta Pro, last year, and I called in a buck. It just wasn't the size I wanted. Mm-hmm. It's still cool to know that you can do it successfully, though. Oh, yeah. I had him on video and everything. It was this little, I think, year and a half buck. I mean, you, you could just make out six points overall. They weren't the most magnificent. I mean, for like my son, if he were to go hunting or my nephews or like me, when I bagged my first buck after my failed one, I got this small eight pointer and heck, I wouldn't even know if they would classify as a full eight. I mean, but I counted all the points. Mm-hmm. It, it's something like that. Just a small buck, but I know he's going to get a lot bigger this year. Yeah, absolutely. So, you've been hunting in Minnesota your entire life? Yeah, basically my entire life. It's, uh, grew up whitetail hunting. You know, like I, I started out with a rifle and then I, I found myself wanting to hunt more. So I moved to, moved to archery equipment yeah. and the, the first time I went out, I was immediately hooked because, you know, like I was reading in magazines and watching videos and, you know, I had in my head like, okay, you need to kind of sound like a deer when you're walking out, you know, mm-hmm. so they don't know you're there. And I got like a couple hundred yards away from my stand and I'm like mismatching my steps and I hit the grunt call once and then all of a sudden I got this six point buck that came and walked right, pretty much right up to me. <laughs> and he got to about like 20, 25 yards and I'm like shaking in my boots and I <laughs> turns his head away and I pull back and I let one fly. And it was like 
three feet over his head. <laughs> Don't you love it when that takes over and you're like, yeah, I'm going to, nope, not a single one. Yeah, that was that was an absolutely awful shot, but that was about the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I think I remember it was the year after I got my little buck, my little buck, and I had taken this, it was a dead shot at like 20 yards, I think. And then I get out and start hunting again the next year, completely forgetting how to read a scope. Like <laughs> it, it just completely spaced it out. I'm like, okay, the little lines count as the yardage and instead it's, you know, the bigger lines. And so here I am taking with a crossbow and I take a shot. It's completely under or over the deer I'm shooting at. Of course, I don't have a rangefinder at this time, so I'm shooting at least 50, 60 yards out, and I'm thinking that's about 30 yards. So, me and my lovely idea on what that is. Yeah, the you know you just I found with hunting you you learn all the ways to fail. Mm-hmm. And then that just makes you a better hunter. You oh, know, I agree. You know, like for instance, th- this wasn't in the field, thankfully, but um, I pulled my my bow out for the first time this year. I was shooting a video for the Shields page. Um, it was we were testing stuff on the MagView um, adapter for for like your spotting scope and your mm-hmm. binoculars and stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this shot at the target and you know watch it through the MagView. And I, I get my bow out and I, you know, I, I dial to, I have a, I have a uh, site that has three fixed pins and then uh, the pins will dial as well. So then mm-hmm. I got a site tape too. So then I have kind of the best of both worlds. And um, so I forgot that when you dial, you have to aim with the top pin instead of the bottom pin. And I accidentally aimed with the bottom pin, so I ended up shooting the the wooden brace of the <laughs> of the target mm. on on camera. So I'm like, "Oh, let's test out the mag view." And I'm like, "All right, don't screw up this shot. Hit it decent." You know, like my first shot of the year out at 50, mm-hmm. and just totally whack that wooden beam. And I look at the camera, and I'm like. Well, yeah, I screwed that one up. <laughs> but you know what? When I dial now, I always remember to use the top pin on that site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've learned from hunting and just that failed mistakes. My first buck I ever hunted was a loss. My father-in-law, first time ever going out in the woods, and I'm bringing an old school New England Firearms Patriot shotgun. I got this when I was 11 years old. And here I am freezing in the all the wrong type of equipment. Steel toes, crappy insulation, no wind protection. You know, wind's cutting through me. It's cold. It's 8 a.m. And I see a buck and I put him on his back with a single shot. There you go. And then I'm trying to reload and all this rather than what I know now, which is sit down. Don't try and put more into an animal that's already got its blood rushing. Because that's the worst thing you can do unless you know you have the ability to to do it quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And 
yeah. So then he runs off, and then I give chase, and almost immediately. And so pretty much either somebody grabbed him because there was a lot of blood, or we ch- got him up and moving again, and he crashed someplace else. Mm. So first deer shot, first deer lost. Yeah, that's a that there is definitely some some learning and some experiences with the outdoors that you just kind of have to stomach, and you know, like that mm-hmm. that just makes the success that yeah. that much better too, and knowing that your hard work and your effort really comes through. Yeah. So with Shields Outdoors, I know we're switching gears here, but I want to get back to Shields and what their plans to do for the future. Is there any plans to implement like expanding on the electronic vehicles that get in lineup? Because I know I would classify an e-bike as something that somebody with a disability could utilize. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of quiet, like the Outrider Coyote is an EV where you can actually look, recline in you can have hand joysticks you can move around obviously a track chair they're about the same price tags as a quad or a at not an atv but dear god lord a polaris or something like that they're in the same price tag so would shields be interested in doing that where method any near future you know it's it's definitely a possibility we have such a wide product line and there's there's so many things we carry nowadays that we never would have thought of like five, ten years ago. So mm-hmm. it's definitely possible. Like like the e-bike, for instance. You know, we we hadn't carried that until about three years ago. And we're always looking for, you know, certain areas to to fill a need and things mm-hmm. like that. So I mean like Currently, we have the we have the e-bikes, and then we have like the carts and the carriers. So, I mean that that would kind of probably get you by in a pinch. But mm-hmm. um, I, I definitely I, I can't say no that it's not in the in the realm of possibilities there for sure. Yeah, because I know when they have to buy directly from the site, they it's usually you pony up the money immediately versus being able to have a down payment and then make subsequent payments on it. Mm-hmm. And usually those type of equipment are donated by a nonprofits to individuals, which is nice. And it just seems like it might be, I know there's not a large market for it, but I know there is a market for it. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely in the market to help people, you know, have outdoor experiences. So yeah. I'm, I'm not allowed to say what we're going to be coming out with, obviously, but um, Understandable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a possibility. So, nice. and you see, so like being in the social media world as uh, you know, as my job, I get to, I get to see a lot of people out there pursuing their passions and adventures. And I have mm-hmm. to say, I was, I was creeping on your stuff a little bit and I saw, I saw a familiar face. It was mm-hmm. uh, Mike and Kenzie Burnside, and they uh, they religiously tag Shields Outdoors in all of their adventures. So I've uh, I've chatted a little bit with them, you know, like just through direct message and things like that. And 
Boy, that's a cool story. Just uh, the, the the adventures they go on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just it's great. And we actually we featured them in one of our previous sale catalogs, like a little short story and a picture of that. So it's um that's one of the my favorite parts about the job is like seeing all the photos that were tagged in and and getting to see all the adventures and the success stories and you know, the difficulties as well, but, um, yeah, yeah, that Mike and Kenzie Burnside, that's a, that's really an inspiration. And I made it through about half of your, the podcast, the recent one that you did with them. Yeah. And yeah. Talking about like noodling catfish and stuff. And it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the hunts that they've been on, like, man, Kenzie is, killed so many more animals than I have. Um, <laughs> I like, I can't even call myself a hunter compared to I, her. <laughs> I know that's what I was. I was talking to Mike on when we were doing the podcast and I was like, yeah, you're not going to tell her. No, she's, she's the better one. I mean, better fisherman, better hunter, everything. I, I, I am not even going to argue. Mm-hmm. And so for that, I just thank you for, creeping on you can tag me whatever you want dude (laughs) yeah i mean that's just dealing with i'm not dealing with talking with people like mike and talking about his daughter and their experiences that's what makes a podcast worth it for me and it's it's inspiring it really is oh it is a hundred percent i mean you know, like my goal with the social media pages is to inspire people and get uh, and get people motivated and excited about the outdoors, and uh, that's kind of what what drew me to your to your stuff too. To be interested and see that sort of stuff, it's like, you know, everybody has their reasons to not get outdoors and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But like when I see some of these stories, it was like, man, I don't have very good reasons to not get outdoors. I know. They put me down. They put not put me down. They put me to shame. Like, okay, if they can get out and do this, you can go out and go squirrel hunting today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. So my dove hunt that I went on this past Saturday, I went out for an early morning squirrel hunt. Didn't see Jack. Yeah, you know, this is before it was a reserve hunt, so you got to show up at eleven, and then you don't really actually start shooting till about five. Four or five, and you have to be out by six. It's one of those lovely reserve style hunts on reservoirs. Okay. So, my cousin and I, we set up, we get everything ready where we're at. And overall, it was about a mile hike to and fro four four times. So, we're actually, no, we walked about a half a mile grand total, carrying all our stuff twice. Mm. And so, then we leave and we didn't get anything. We saw a dove, but nothing major, you know, enough to actually get anything. We didn't even go through a full box. And if that doesn't tell you what nobody saw, it, that was just one of those, you know, because normally you're going through a full box on dove. Yeah. We did not see enough to go through a full box. And so I think I own, I think, yeah, I think I actually have over half a box left. Well, Hey, you got her for next time. And yep. you know, the, 
those sorts of hunts, you know, like they, they kind of sting once you finish up and it's like, oh, that was not very good. But, you know, you can kind of use that as sort of like fuel to the fire for your motivation to just get out there and really get after it uh, next yeah. time. You know, that's that's part of the reason I got into bow hunting. You know, it's it's really a test of your patience. But, um, you know, when that success actually comes, it's great. So. I had uh, I had the patients testing this this past weekend out in the Badlands. It was North Dakota opener, and uh, you know I I have a wife and two kids, and I got the okay to go hunting for for four days out there. You know, since it was it was a long weekend, and you know when you when you have kids, and then you get the okay to go hunting, it it doesn't matter what the conditions are or anything like that. You got to use that because you know, like you can't just like. Mm-hmm. bank that or take a rain check like that that hunt's gone you know yeah like, sorry buddy so like i went out and it was it was miserably hot there it was like three well it was like three and a half days but like yeah. 95 degrees 95 degrees 97 degrees you know deer don't mm-hmm. like to move very much when it's that hot so you have kind of your windows in the early morning mm-hmm. and then right before dark and yeah you know i i still got after it and saw a couple of nice bucks. I, I had tried to intercept these two really nice mule deer that were going from a, from a field into a draw. And I got close. I got to like a hundred yards and, and tried to sneak that last distance, but then they just kind of disappeared. So, you know, that's hunting for you, but it just keeps you hungry for the next time. Oh yeah. Well, after the dove hunt, I went and regrouped by myself. Luckily, I had my uh, twenty-two stolen the, sh- the truck with me, and I saw a black squirrel, and I got it, got it, got it loaded, got it ready, and took aim, iron sighted the squirrel for about twenty yards. Okay, and he was done. Nice. Which I already showed uh, him the picture of. It was a nice black squirrel, and it was about from tail to tip, about a foot long. Yeah, that is that's a good one. I, honestly, I don't know if I've seen squirrels much bigger than that. Yeah, those are usually the average size squirrels that I see. Nice. Yeah, we did. You know, I don't do a ton of squirrel hunting. I mean, I used to when I was a kid. I was I was really into that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I also have a pretty interesting uh, squirrel story as well. You know, you talk about the the black squirrel or the melanistic ones, and and few people yeah. have have seen it or or really know about it. And you know, there's white squirrels too. There's you know, I, and I hadn't known about this, but I I figured it out from my uncle who lived in Tennessee. He was talking about all these white squirrels that he saw, and I was like, Are you, so they're like albino or. Lucidic. No, they're ju- they're just white squirrels, and you know, like I, I kind of half believed him, but was still pretty yeah. skeptical. But um, then, about like six to eight months later, we get this giant package at our door, <laughs> and we have no idea what it, what it is, but it's from my uncle, my uncle Wendell. So we we start opening the package, and then it's got all these packaging peanuts and. Uh, and then we move those peanuts to the side, and then all of a sudden there's an eyeball staring at us. We kind of step back and freak out a little bit. It's like, what the heck is going on here? And then we open it up a little more, and he's got two of these white squirrels mounted on a on a post. And sure enough, yeah, like we, 
he definitely has white squirrels because he shot two of them and then he had them mounted and then sent to us. <laughs> Lucidic squirrels. I want to get a piebald one now. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. I've always wanted to get a piebald deer too. I think that mm-hmm. would be super sweet. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone yet, so that's definitely on my list of deer to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen a few of them come through with uh with people taking shields outdoors in the with their piebald deer, and there was one that was a that was a piebald ten pointer that that was like majestic. I was mm-hmm. like, man, if I got one of those, I think I might have to do a full body mount on it. My wife would hate my guts. Oh, mine as well. Yep, for sure. I don't know where it would go, and I don't know how I would be able to convince her to do that, but it's just one of those things I think you'd have to do. Oh, I would clear out my son's toy area. He doesn't use it much anyways, and it would be right next to the big buck. There you go. Perfect. Wife would be completely angry because she does not like mounts. They She creep, says they creep her out, and I'm like, nothing's real on it. Yeah, you'd probably be on permanent dish duty for that one. Oh, most definitely. So what is, if you're pervy to it and you can say it, what is Shields going to be up to in the next five years? In the next five years? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's a great question. I, uh, I, I can't say everything because I don't want to get in trouble on this. But No, no, no you, spoilers. <laughs> if you look from five years ago to today, you'll see a pattern of mm-hmm. one or two stores each year. So nice. I mean, if you, if you use, if you use past as an indicator for future, I think you can kind of infer yeah. that. Um, and it, we're also trying to like remodel a lot of our, you know, stores, stores that have been around a longer, a longer time or have just gotten too small. You know, like mm-hmm. our, our store in Fargo was, um, you know, we started out like there was a hardware store and then it was hardware and sports and then it moved back to a hardware store and we built a, a bigger one. And then that bigger one was, had our corporate office in the back. And then we outgrew, you know, like the corporate office area and had to move that to a different location. And we knocked out a bunch of walls and made more retail mm-hmm. space and space for like inventory and things like that. So nice. there's definitely a lot of remodeling and, uh, you know, I was looking for new areas because, you know, there's, there's people that love the outdoors, um, yep. coast to coast. So hopefully we can work our way to, you know, helping people out, help, helping people pursue their passions. Right. Well, do you want to tag any social media? Yeah, I am. I would say you know every, we're Shields Outdoors in everything. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and uh, I also host the Shields Outdoors podcast that can be found on basically any listening platform. And uh, we've moved into videoing all that stuff so that the video versions can be found on on YouTube as well. So that's, uh, nice. that's what, that's what I do on a day-to-day basis is, you know, try and get people excited about the outdoors, uh, let people know about new products that are coming out. And, uh, and we really try to, you know, come up with creative ways and to, you know, get people thinking about the outdoors and learn new things. You know, like we've got a lot of really, really intelligent people working at our stores that have a lot of great tips, whether it's hunting tips or fishing tips or things like that. And we just nice. really want to spread that knowledge too. Well, 
I'm hoping that you guys get to spread that knowledge even more and hope to be a part of it and, you know, just help be part of spreading the knowledge that there's, you know, to get out in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you taking the time to have me on here. Well, thank you for coming on and remember everybody stay adaptive. <laughs>